Richard Alpern, Tim Bass, and Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraphs Audio. My guest on this edition of Fangraphs Audio is the managing editor of Seattle Mariner's SB Nation website, Lookout Landing, and also Fangraphs inaugural resident. Fangraphs inaugural writer in residence. Writer in residence for the month of March. She's all of those things. She is also Kate Prusser. Kate Prusser is the guest in this edition of the program. What we endeavor to do is learn about Kate Prusser's hopes and dreams and also perhaps her most urgent concerns as a baseball writer. Of particular note, losing as a default setting, both in Seattle baseball and life. The considerable charm of Edgar Martinez, the more recent but still considerable charm of outfield prospect Guillermo Heredia, and living on the East Coast as a West Coast native. Prusser addresses all of those concerns and what's followed. What else she does is to characterize very succinctly either... Bruce's collection of novels, Remembrance of Things Past, or this episode of Fangraphs Audio. It's just a lot of, it's a lot of crying. As I mentioned, Prusser is the Fangraphs resident for the month of March. Fangraphs has begun recently this residency program where we give a platform to a writer whom we believe the Fangraphs readership would enjoy, whose work we believe the Fangraphs readership would enjoy. Prusser is the first participant in the residency program. There are more to come once a month, presumably. Would you care to nominate someone? You can do that. You can do that by emailing us at residency at fangraphs.com. That's R-E-S-I-D-E-N-C-Y at fangraphs.com. Bruce's debut piece about giant Brazilian right-hander Tiago Vieira is up at the site. It's a great pleasure. More to follow in that vein, one assumes. One assumes also that there is a conversation awaiting, so let us get to it. What is it? It is Fangraphs Audio. Who does it feature? Lookout Landing, managing editor, and Fangraphs resident for the month of March, Kate Prusser, and when does it begin? Right now. some project with Mexico and Marfa Texas. I have no idea what it was, honestly. Um, mm. But yeah, so I, I think you can apply. And then I think also if you just put out really good stuff, you get noticed and they say, hey, you, genius. Yeah, yeah well, right. Well, I think I think George Saunders uh, received a genius grant. I believe that is correct. Did yeah. be After after Civil War land in bad decline? Yes, I, I do think so, yeah. That was sort of his big right. burst upon the scene. Right. He's and doing after- some... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Well, no, well, yeah, but I think after that, I forget the book, the name of the book. Pastoralia was that the next one? Pastoralia, yeah. Yeah, Pastoralia, right? That has the story sea oak in it, I think. It does, and that won a bunch of awards too, didn't it? Yeah. Now, is sea oak? Is that the story where one the, the protagonist works at a place called Joysticks? Mm. Or is it the one where there's a television show, uh, like what's the worst that could happen? And there's like a story about like a pregnant woman gets swept up in a tornado and then uh, she's flung out of the tornado onto, <laughs> onto a yard of school children and kills multiple. If you are not familiar with uh, George Saunders at this point, I can't imagine how this doesn't um, immediately cause people to run out. <laughs> yeah. Like it's one thing when you're reading his stories and you, you suspend that disbelief because yeah. you just believe in these places that he creates so compellingly. Um, but yeah, just describing it back, I think you're right. It's joysticks. Um, and then I can't remember what happens after that. Right. Yeah. But it's like, um, it's like a, it's like a weird strip club. Um, like a, for the men are there, they're, and, but that you can't, there's a lot of details about it. Um, but the characters are sad. <laughs> That's mostly, it's mostly what's happening. I mean, that applies to most Saunders stories. But yeah, mm. what I've always enjoyed about his work is his ability to invent places that or things that are just one shade to the right of something that could actually exist. Like that, I think that the terrible TV show he creates is um, um, My Child Died Violently. <laughs> I, really, I think that's it, right? That's it? Yeah, well, that's interesting because the, uh, my guess is that more than one of his... Uh, creations, uh, you know, since since he's be, uh, begun conceiving them and publishing them, uh, like probably something like it has has turned out. There, like there are things like my child died violently. Like there are certainly YouTube videos you can watch of things that are worse than that. 
Oh, um, e- easily YouTube. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's... the world is a the world is a terrifying place. Let's um, well, let's start with the beginning. Uh, you and I have never met each other before. You live. Uh, where do you live? I live in Seattle. You live in Seattle, Washington. Uh, Are you? Yeah. Well, you keep, you keep talking. That's how these interviews work. Actually. <laughs> right. uh, well, I was going to tell you that I live um, not in Seattle, Seattle, like you picture with the Space Needle and everything. I live in West Seattle, and I live on the far edge of West Seattle, um, close to Puget Sound. So I can look out my window and see waves, and there were eagles out there the other day, and it's just a wonderfully Pacific place. Um, okay, so West Seattle. Now, in fact, I uh, I lived in Seattle some time ago, uh, almost two decades ago now, 15 years ago at least, and I lived in Wallingford. Uh, yes, I also lived in Wallingford when I was a graduate student at the University of Washington. Oh, you did, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, now, that was getting expensive when I was there. <laughs> Uh, and I assume that it, I assume that part of the reason you live in you live in West Seattle currently is because a place like Wallingford. Not to say that that would be definitely the place you want to live, but I, I would assume it's prohibitive in terms of cost at this point. It is very prohibitive with the yeah. growth of places like um, Amazon has just kind of taken over South Lake Union, and then that has pushed a spread. It's it's really not very neighborhoody anymore. Everything is condos. I mean, I guess that's a different kind of neighborhood, but it's not like. A, so much the single family houses, or if there are those, they are. Mm, I think the average, the median home price in Seattle right now, I think is six fifty. Mm-hmm. I might be underselling that a little. Uh, so obviously, pretty pretty difficult for people who are starting out or who are um, not employees of major tech companies. Yeah. So is West uh, is West Seattle though? Is that a nice uh, place to be? It is. It's very neighborhoody. This is where I where I grew up, and um, I was gone from it for a long time, for about ten years. So moving back here has been um, it's a strange feeling to go back to where you came from. Um, in ways, it's really comforting, and in ways, it's surprising and upsetting sometimes to see places that are really firmly fixed in your memory to have changed so much. No, when and I know what you mean about returning to a place, um, and I know, and I don't know if um, you would have had the similar experience. I know that there is uh, the place where I grew up. I es- I escaped a little bit. <laughs> I would consider it escaping a little bit. But then, um, but it's also because I was. Um, I, it, it was more about me, I guess, than the other people. Um, I didn't really know how to contend with people, and then I—not that I do—not that I'm an expert at this point. But you get to a certain point where, uh, in your life, with with age, where you just you become a little bit more at ease um, with what a dummy you are, <laughs> and, and, and that's where I am. But now, did you did you flee West Seattle, or and and therefore when you when you come back and you see people that you knew, is that is that a, a difficult experience, or is it a or is it more about the area around you changing that, with which you're contending? I don't think it was fleeing. I think it was um, wanting to do something else for a while because when I had graduated, I went to college in Virginia, and when I graduated, I went straight to grad school. And the two places I was looking at for grad school were um, the University of Ohio, Columbus. Mm-hmm. And then... Well, no, no, sorry, actually, that... Wait, University of Ohio, Ohio University, Ohio, Ohio State. State, Ohio State, Ohio State University, Ohio the Ohio State, State Oh boy, the yeah. that's it, the Ohio State University. Right, but you have to be careful Oof. because there's also Ohio University. Right. Uh, Honestly, just, it's just uh, everything. Yeah. Everything to the east of the Mississippi now is just like mm-hmm. a big swirling soup for me. Yeah. Yeah. I can't place especially Midwestern America, which is fine because they're not awesome about our geography out here. Someone once told me once to drive to California because how long could it take six hours? Like, oh, except there's this place called Oregon. (laughs) Well, I can tell you from both sides, when I lived in, uh, when I lived in Seattle, uh, the people with whom I lived and whom I had told multiple times, uh, I, you know, I was born in New Hampshire, they would always ask me if I was going back to Connecticut. They did oh. not care. They did not care at all. Um, but then when I lived in Portland, my family, my own family would incessantly ask me about living in Oregon. 
with the mm-hmm. E, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then when I worked at the Varsity Theater on uh, on the Ave, on University Ave. Oh. <laughs> yeah, when I worked there, uh, my manager, first of all, he a thought I lived, I was from Rhode Island, which is also not true, and b thought Rhode Island was an actual island, which is not. In case, you, in case you were concerned about uh, I, that. I, I've been to Rhode Island once. Yeah. Um, but honestly, I will say that the all those tiny little states, you know, when you were a kid and you had the big puzzle piece map, that's how you learned your states. Yeah. I, those little tiny ones, for the life of me, I cannot figure out where they went. Yeah. It might actually be an advantage to be from one of them because then you can see how. Then you know, right? Then you know, yeah. I would be so much better at pub trivia if. I come from the Northeast, I think. <laughs> so you, all right, so you, you were not fleeing necessarily. Not fleeing. Just, um, no. so when I went to the Ohio State University to look into whether I could live in Ohio for three years, two years, I can't remember how long their program was, um, which, by the way, the answer turned out to be a resounding no. Mm-hmm. I did not enjoy the environs of Ohio. They shouldn't have had us there in January, too, I don't think, because January is a rough month pretty much everywhere that's not, you know, a nice tropical place. So one of the writers there uh, was trying to get me invested in coming and could tell I was wavering. And I said, you know, I'm looking at University of Washington's program, too. And he said, you know, sometimes what what do you want to write about? And do you want to write about where you're from? And sometimes that's easier to do from further away. So okay. I've, I've kind of held that with me for a long time. And I think when the opportunity came to move back east, I said, well, this will be my opportunity to really appreciate where I'm from and maybe get some distance from it and be able to uh, contextualize that experience a little and maybe write about it better. But then it didn't work. I didn't write at all for the next 10 years. <laughs> yeah. Although I will say that, I, I, to, to your point, uh, living across the country, I mean, all it did was make me uh, realize how how poorly I fit in uh, – well, I lived in Portland, uh, Portland, Oregon for three years. And, and uh, while I could see how this is a place that many people could enjoy, I did not have that experience. I think it's hard if you didn't grow up with the rain and you didn't grow up with the gray. Like, for me, it's very comforting. Like, it, f- it feels like a nice soft blanket. I'm looking out and the sky is very gray and, you know, there's just kind of like a quietness about the days. Um, and I I got very discouraged with the East Coast snow. Like It was just, it seemed so mean. It seemed personally mean. Like, we do not want you here and by here, I mean on this planet. Like, this is yeah, not well, fit for human habitation. I would, I would submit the one, the one advantage to the snow is that to live in, in to grow up or, or live in, in a region where it does snow like that, it, any citizen in that area has to, has to possess a, like a baseline level of, um, like self, of self-reliance. Otherwise, you die. Like, if you don't put on a winter coat before you go out, you will die. <laughs> and I often think that, it, especially people I know from Southern California, for example, they would have benefited from a couple of years in, uh, in New England. Because <laughs> it's just, they've had everything handed to them. You know, it's, the weather's beautiful. You can wear flippy flops everywhere. You go to, I went to, uh, I mean, it is an amazing farmer's market in uh, Hollywood. So I don't know why I added. Why did you just make it a Mexican state? No, no, I made it Yiddish. Hollywood is Yiddish. It's a Yiddish word. Have you been watching Team Israel in the World Baseball Cup? And the announcers I've been thinking have been... about it deeply, though. No, I've been thinking about it. <laughs> well, know, the announcers deeply. have been sprinkling in Yiddish here and there, so well, that, yeah, that, which they should be credited. With only them. brings joy to baseball, I think, and is yeah. reinvigorating the strong tradition of Jews in baseball, and I'm all for it. So yeah, I just yeah, figured that was your homage to him. No, it's, it was not on purpose. But, uh, <laughs> I, you know, but I do. I have. I have a bit of. Um, uh, I don't know, Jewphilia a little bit. I, I don't know if I suffer from it, but I do have, 
I do. I've always, I've always wanted. It was the only thing that explained. I remember when I first saw Wood, uh, Annie Hall, um, and I said, "This is someone. This is someone I understand." And I really <laughs> identified strongly with the, the Brooklyn Jew, and as opposed to uh, the people around me at the time. But it's mostly the anxiety. That was mostly what I was, was sensing. N- neurotic white man. Yeah. Spoke to yeah. you? Really? How, yeah. Yeah. How the spectacled white, the spectacled, <laughs> the spectacled uh, white man. Neurotic, yeah. nebbish yeah, white no, man. Yes. So, but in California, I went to an amazing farmer's market, is my point. You go to farm, this farmer's market in Hollywood, and you, within 100 miles, like anything can grow basically <laughs> because you have every different, whatever, I don't know if it's a, a biome. Biome? Or, yeah. Yeah, sure. A biome. A biome. Yeah. <laughs> Stick with that word. And it, it was fantastic. And my friend, uh, was carrying me. I was like, oh, it's like taste this fruit, and it, you know, it was a fruit I had never seen before <laughs> because it's, you know, because I come from the, I come from the harsh, <laughs> you know, rocky, rocky sands, rocky, rocky soils of uh, New England. All kohlrabi for you. Yeah, yeah, no kohlrabi. Yeah, no, no. We just have. Uh, I mean, for, you can't even grow sweet potatoes here, hardly. You know, you have potatoes. It's like it's essentially as terrible as famine. <laughs> Famine era Ireland, <laughs> except with somehow m- more racist Irish people <laughs> than than in Ireland. That's essentially what New England is. So, 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 so. In conclusion, um, I, I we have now forward. pissed off the entire country. Like right, 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 we have worked our yeah. way from like spoiled Californians to me yeah. just saying Midwesterners don't exist. Essentially, to. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, I thought in Portland, said. actually, you mentioned that there was the weather, but I, I thought, so <clears throat> my, my main, the criticism of my logic, was that, not that anyone cared, was, uh, was not necessarily the weather. It was, although the weather maybe, maybe was part of it. It was, I've, I've had a lot of the young people there, well, many of them, and this will not shock you, many of them were not from Portland. Um, I felt like a lot of them had flee, had been fleeing from somewhere, it was fleeing, mm. back to fleeing. Um, and they'd probably come from like they'd probably been like the weirdest person in a small, very conservative town west of the Mississippi, and and it was a collection essentially of people who who had fled those places, and they had they had been I felt like in many cases they had been and I understandably so like they had been like traumatized to some degree but they were all there and they were all sort of like healing together was my point. And that was, and was ups- not- upsetting to you because that sort of sounds beautiful to me. No, no, you, you, no you're exactly <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and their love for each other disgusted me. <laughs> yeah, it was terrible. No, no, no. It's just I never had that experience. I, I didn't really want to. I didn't want to flee the place from which I, I wanted to flee specifically Concord, New Hampshire. But like uh, the next town over was fine. Do you know what I mean? It was, <laughs> it was fine, and so I realized. But like you're saying, when you go abroad, when you not necessarily abroad, when you go somewhere else, you you discover the, this um, intimacy you have with the place where you hail, and that's what I'm what I'm getting at. In a long-winded, <laughs> belabored fashion, Kate Preusser. Preusser. Yeah. I, it's you're saying it technically correct. I, that's how it's supposed to be said in German. Anyone I have ever met who knows mm-hmm. German says it that way. I don't know how in the journey from Braintree, Massachusetts, where I believe oh. my people landed. <laughs> oh, yeah. so, so is that the one? Is that a one town over from Concord? That would be okay. Uh, is that no, it's not. Acceptable but it, but I, to you. I did go to high school one town over from Braintree, so oh, you know, I actually that's, got. Uh, yeah, I got my tuxedo. I got my tuxedo from Braintree, Mass. For my prom. <laughs> I got my tuxedo from Braintree. Sounds like a uh, Decemberist song. Yeah. Oh, okay. Hey, and, there, and there's actually, I do have a. There's a guilty little spot in my in my in my body. I don't know where in my body. Don't ask me to identify. Um, uh, certainly, certainly not anything anyone should be seeing. <laughs> but um, uh, for the Decemberists, I I like that little guy who leads them with his little whiny voice. I like it. <laughs> I, I, too much. I like just enough of the Decemberists. Let's mm-hmm. put it that way. Like mm-hmm. one song once in a while. I'm, I'm yeah, fine yeah, yeah. With. That's fine. And, and does does any? Hey, listen. If if you were to produce something, not to say that you haven't, Kate, um, but if you were, but let's say for example, you have produced something that someone that someone liked one time. That's pretty good, right? Oh, I, I would feel excellent. Yeah, that's a that's a decent rate of, rate of return. 
I mean, we like baseball, so I think we are sort of uh, we've shackled ourselves to things where you produce a lot and maybe succeed a third or less of the time yeah. if you're really, really, really good. So um, that's that's a healthy lesson, though, <laughs> that failure is the rule and not the exception. It also helps me to um, allow myself to not like writers' second books, which I always feel like I should do. If I love the first book, mm-hmm. like I love Jonathan Safran Foer's first I, book. Wait, you shut your face <laughs> right now because that was the exact example I was going to bring up. <laughs> it was. Is there it a really big, was. <laughs> is there a, it really is, was. The, the first 70 pages of Everything is Illuminated are, are uh, ecstatic. They're effervescent. Transcendent. Sure, yeah, yeah. They're perfect. Yeah, and I would actually say just a third of that book is all I enjoyed, but that's fine. That, if you want to get onto that. I never saw what it, or, or read uh, Incredibly Close and So so Very Close. <laughs> and what is that? and un- Uncomfortably Loud. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, it's whatever. There's a, definitely a Bonnie Tyler song of the same <laughs> name. That's all I know. <laughs> I think it's – in fact, it might just be Bonnie Tyler lyrics. full of the book. True or false? True or false? True or false? Bonnie Tyler is the hottest woman to come out of the 80s. Um, I feel like you are True? forgetting uh, Nancy Wilson. <laughs> right? Oh, well, please allow me to take to my Google machine. <laughs> right? Uh, Isn't she I, one of the ladies in heart? Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah. Come on. Barracuda. Yeah, okay. All right. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can understand that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, fine. I just, Bonnie Tyler in Total Eclipse of the Heart. I don't know what's happening there. Have you seen the video ever slash recently? Uh, the Bonnie, you're asking me if I have seen the Bonnie Tyler Total Eclipse of the Heart video. Yeah. I mean, I know we have just recently met, but this seems like a severe misreading of my personality. <laughs> <laughs> so the answer is: Is it a resounding yes? <laughs> it is a resounding yes. I've Good. seen that one. I've seen the literal video version that attempts whoa, to whoa, explain whoa, 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 whoa. what is going on in it. Oh, you have okay, because oh, I yeah. need that. Yeah, you 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 need that. Where it this just is kind little of demon narrates. children, little demon men with <laughs> with with uh, um, illuminated eyes. I feel almost certainly that in some way it's about the patriarchy, and if yeah. I were still in grad school, I would really love to write a paper on that. Mm-hmm. That's great. That's great. Hey, actually, uh, when I was applying to colleges, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with University of Chicago, but they ask really funky questions. <laughs> And I will use the word funky again, okay? So do not worry. Um, you have to say it with like, that umlau over the U that you did, though. Funky. Oh, so now, you're, now you're becoming uh, dogmatically German. <laughs> yeah, now, now I'm <laughs> this, connecting this, to my German heritage. This is okay. But uh, so the question for the U Chicago application was pose a question and answer it. And I posed the question mm. from Paula Cole. <laughs> songwriter Paula Cole, where oh, all the no. cowboys? Oh no, I have to lay down. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot physically hold myself up in my seat any longer. <laughs> what year was yeah. this, Carson? Without wanting to give away your your yeah, age. Yeah, uh, I was. I started in. I graduated from high school in '98. So yeah, that was the time. Yeah. Oh, so yeah, we're where, exactly the same age. That's why yeah, we have okay. all the same reference. Yeah. So where where have all the cowboys gone? <laughs> is what I endeavor to answer as a as a 17 year old. <laughs> um, I I don't actually the, the essay is not important. The <laughs> <laughs> the effort is what's important. Yeah. Yeah. And then when I visited University of Chicago, um <clears throat> a couple of things you may you may not be familiar there's a there's a popular shirt that you can get at uh University of Chicago. It says University of Chicago on the front and on the back it says where fun comes to die. Oh. Which is is true. <laughs> and then I was actually on a bus that was taking us from like one academic building to a dorm and someone Someone unprompted, a student there unprompted, uh, took me aside and said, do not come here. Oh, my gosh. Do not come here. It's terrible. So, oh, oh, my gosh. So I didn't. I didn't is the end of the story. I'm trying to remember. I applied to Oberlin, which was pretty far out there. And with my acceptance came a, a pint, a free pint of Ben & Jerry's, which to me was mm. worth like the $50 application fee right there, obviously. But I how think they, how do they transport that to you? Was it, well, was it a just, coupon? Just the coupon, yeah. Sorry, I mean wow. it was as good as a pint, and I got to pick any flavor. So, um, 
I'm trying to remember, I think Oberlin had some wacky questions because that's a very Oberlin thing to do. And yes. I just feel like, you know, if you're going to ask in that way, you're really setting yourself up for a lot of snarky 17 year olds to send you the lyrics to pop songs. I mean, yeah, I, why not? It's an open invitation, who, who the, I think. Who put, who put the put lime the... in the coconut? That's yeah. <laughs> that's what your predecessor did. That's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If my dad were a different person, <laughs> he would have. Uh, I don't think my dad is curious at all about who put the lime in the coconut. I feel like my older cousin might wonder who let the dogs out. Oh, that's always, yes, a perennial favorite. In fact, do you want to know a story? I moved out, so, no, you don't, but I'm going to tell you. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Shut your face. The, the, um, I, uh, the, I think the first time I ever heard that song was my first night in Seattle. I had done, I did two years at, uh, Columbia University in New York City. You make that before. sound like hard time. Well, we, <laughs> We had a difficult relationship. I did, it turns out I did not really want to be there. And also, they did not want me to be there either. <laughs> so very true some, of one's early 20s. Yeah, we had some something in common. So I said, I'm going to take a year off, and I'm going to, and I'm going to go live in Seattle. That's what I did. I took the Amtrak across the country. Uh, I showed up. I stayed. I had reservation for my first night there at the Green Tortoise uh, Oh, hostel. the Green Tortoise. That's yeah. still here. Amazing. Yeah, although somehow. maybe did it move? Did it maybe move? I think it's I on. Like I, a, I feel like it's on Pike Street. I walk past it sometimes. Yeah, and so w- what I did though was, I I spent my first night in Seattle. I walked down to uh to Safeco to watch a game where I saw, where they happened. Uh, no wait, I'm getting two things confused. But I feel like I saw Rafael Soriano pitch that year. Maybe it's very. Not, but no, well no no ninety eight would have been too early. I forget who I saw. No, this was not ninety eight. It was two thousand. Doesn't matter precisely. The point is that I went, I walked down there and they they played Who Let the Dogs Out. Yes, that was a so something that I didn't know was that the Mariners sort of invented uh, walk up songs. This oh. is something I've seen confirmed on not any particularly reputable sources, but it just seems to be you know like one of those internet folk tales that well mm-hmm. the mariners that you're really just started willing doing to believe it. without uh, have you have you snoped this <laughs> i have i have not snoped it okay um but i think that and it, it started a lot with them playing who let the dogs out that was uh so yeah everybody who is subjected to every bit of um you know country music or whatever the top 40 Hit of the moment is you can all thank the Mariners. Thank the Mariners, yeah. And I and I would I would like to be clear. There might be people now who are saying, "Oh, that that song came out later." I could very well be uh, conflating this <clears throat> this particular memory with a memory of going to a Mariners Red Sox series a couple years after this, um, when I had already moved to I had moved to Missoula by that time. Um, but, no, no. Uh, who who let, Google tells me who let the dogs out came out in two thousand in July of two thousand. Oh, then it would have been perfect. <clears throat> yeah, so this all, it yep. it came out, it was a hit. The Mariners, who have always been sort of trendsetters and mm-hmm. very aware of the zeitgeist, mm-hmm. were the first ones yes. to uh, yes, grab right. hold of that with both hands and say, what can we do to continue to get people into our baseball stadium? Yeah, what can we get to watch this to perennially bad team? All intimate with the zeitgeist. <laughs> all up in all up in the zeitgeist? I think that Nietzsche said that, didn't he? Oh, yeah, 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 absolutely. That was... Classic uh... Nietzsche. <laughs> that guy. Crazy. Let's talk about your... Uh, it's going to have to come to this sooner or later. Prusser. Prusser? Prusser. I can't even know. Prusser. 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 Like prune, sir. Like Proust with the... Here's where I brag about having read all of Proust. I've read that Whoa, entire you, book. You, you, you did it all. I did. It was an independent study at my overly indulgent liberal arts college. Wait, wait, uh, which which overly indulgent liberal arts college did you attend? I attended Hollins, which was Hollins College when I went there, but is now Hollins University. Okay. And I studied with a writer who people maybe don't know as much as they should, but his name is Pinkney Benedict. P-I-N-C-K-N-E-Y. Really, mm. one of the most fabulous men I have ever met in my life, and and you he really sponsored read... me through Proust. You went for it, huh? We went for it. 
Wow. Yeah, me and some uh, grad students who we had that year, who mm. include John McManus, who is now at ODU and is also a very good and interesting writer you should check out. But not uh, uh, jealousy-inducing handsome, like you're, like that jerk. Ah, <sighs> No, not, I mean, but, but so smart and well-traveled and yet still, and funny, really funny. Mm-hmm. So yeah, mm-hmm. still, still totally jealousy-inducing. Yeah. Okay. And, and actually type pretty type. handsome too. So never mind, not f- that guy. Sorry, yeah. I should not say yeah. that. No, no, you're okay. You're all right. You're right, Prusser. You're all right. <laughs> <laughs> you got this. You got this dirty mouth. <laughs> it's, it's, I have a rule yeah, on our curse. own on the Lookout Landing podcast that we can't mm-hmm. curse, and I've just broken that. Just it turns out. You know, that we the, have a we have a way to we have a way of uh, dealing with that. It's called <laughs> censorship. <laughs> I don't know if you're familiar with it. If you're not familiar with it yet, you better get familiar with it because. Because it's a, uh, it's uh, mounting a comeback. <laughs> it, it sure is. Yeah, it yeah. sure is, Carson. Yeah, it's gonna, it's getting real popular. So you read that? Yeah, I would say I did the requisite. I did the Swan's um, Way. Yeah, I yeah. did. No, no, not even. Ooh. I read the. I read. <laughs> I read the first seventy pages up till he's eating his little madeleine. You know? <laughs> and then literary hallmark achieved. Check. Yeah. <laughs> Well, no, and then I read up through the part where it's like he's in bed and he's like crying for his mom a bunch. Looking at although his that ceiling. could be any of the novels from what I gather. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. There, honestly, I have trouble distinguishing one from the next because yeah. it's just a lot of it's a lot of crying. Pr- although Bruce one of my favorite emo. <laughs> yeah, original emo. He's instead of he's not an original gangster. He's an original emo. <laughs> Oe. Oe. O-E. O-E. And I needed the OED to read that book because I still have a long list in my vocabulary journal of all the words I learned from Proust. Yeah, well, that's always it. You know, actually, one of the uh, – I did not read her edition, but I believe a uh, great short fiction writer, L.D., Lydia Davis. Yes. The L to the D. I have looked at that. I have also read that. Um, yeah. And it is – so the, the reason that it was – that she retranslated it is the original mm-hmm. translator Enright was a wounded World War One vet who sort of had nothing to do other than yeah. sit around and translate Proust and was sort of a frustrated writer himself and injected a lot of so really it's funny because our concept of Proust in English isn't necessarily Proust in the original French. So Lydia Davis restores that, but I think it sort of loses something. I, I almost prefer the super flowery, very long sentences of the Enright translation. Yeah. And then what was the one about girls and flower? Uh, that was maybe uh, – that's maybe the second one. Yeah. It's like a, a girl – one of the newer titles, I think, makes it – it's just – I gathered from it. It's not a book. I feel like it was not a book I wanted to see carrying around <laughs> because I already <laughs> look like a pervert, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and so it's like, oh, this was young girls in flower. Yeah. Yeah, you guys got me. That's, that's what I'm doing with my time. I just didn't need that, producer. I didn't need that. I understand. I understand. Yeah. Let's ask, uh, let me ask you this question. How did you, how did you find baseball? Or how did, how did baseball find you? I had baseball when I was mm-hmm. wee, wee and tiny. Um, mm-hmm. I grew up with some pretty terrible 1980s Mariners teams. And then they became really fun in the 90s. And I was, when I was young, I was uh, friendless, mostly. Yeah. <laughs> and so I constructed, and I'm not a mathematically minded person, if you can tell from my, like, long discourse on Proust. Not that one can't be both, but no, you apparently can, God you, decided not to give to me with both hands. That's right. You talk about God in both of his hands a lot. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah i also went to catholic school for a long time oh yeah yeah so that it, yeah, I, nailed it you yeah. know it just kind of imbues that imagery imbues your um thinking process sometimes so yeah. even though i'm very much not that and we have a rule on our site no religion no politics um i can't it, you know it's just it's like in the dna of my now, did you, when you were went to high school, did you go to like a kind of like a lefty Jesuit school? Or was it more <laughs> of like a... I went to Holy Names Academy, the choice for Seattle's young women. 
mm-hmm. where I was instructed by the sisters Rosemary and Anne Dorshak, or Mary Ann Dorshak, who we called SMAD, um, who's like, yeah, they were, um, they were, they, they, they were, um, they had, they had their ways of doing things. So there was, there were the nuns and then there were, um, some nice lefty leaning ladies who yeah. shaped me in other directions. So, but, yeah. but sister, sister Marionette, like I, I still carry her around with me a little bit. And she's very she's, light she's and there. spindly. Yeah. It's, yeah. She's ju- judging you in your head <laughs> so much, all the time. So much. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. so back to, baseball so i cut out these little bases out of cardboard and i had all my stuffed animals and i assigned each of them to a mariners player and i sort of like kept a little box score by moving my stuffed animals around on the bases that is that is great so you would have your own now how would you decide uh if there was a how would you decide what the event was for the batter at the plate what the event was? Well, yeah, is it a, is it a strikeout, a, a triple? How would you how would you know? Oh, I'd follow the the game. So whatever happened oh. in the game, I would. So you're move watching the, the Mariners animals. game. Yes, sitting in front of the television, watching the game, mm-hmm. and then just you moving see, the animals. You see Alvin court. Davis with your eyes. <laughs> yes, is that right? <laughs> and then I pick up the little tiger that corresponds to Alvin Davis because for some reason he seemed like a tiger to me. Mm-hmm. I would also really like to, I, I have no way of knowing this, but I would love to know like how I decided which animal corresponded to which player. Like it was pretty mm-hmm. clear that Jay Buner was the dinosaur. So yeah. Obviously. Um, yeah. But like, I don't know. And, and I might actually be a little embarrassed of some of my choices. Like why did I make King Griffey Jr. The cheetah? I think it was because it was the coolest animal that I had, but uh, I'm also, like, reconsidering some of the racial implications of that and worrying maybe that was oh, a little yeah, too... They're, yeah. They're dark. They're deep and dark. <laughs> they're, they're, oh, they're, yeah. uh, they, yeah. they don't suggest great things about my You don't want to ask too many questions. Wickedness. Yeah. I was no, eight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I, was, I, was, I was not the most... Never, I've actually never heard, uh, never heard anyone say that out loud, that word... Wokedness. I, th- I think it's because it's not a word. I think I just yeah, made it up. Probably best to represent. So, so you would actually do this now. What were who were your guys? Like who were your mariners when you were uh, sort of coming of age as a uh, as a young baseball fan? My guy was Edgar Martinez. Like mm. that was just pretty much it. So, and I I did like other. Lesser known players. I had a big thing for Pete O'Brien for some reason. I think it's the glasses. Yeah, he's a. Uh, I can I can Google machine that, but I I don't off the top of my head. I don't know. He was a middling first baseman, which okay. I realize doesn't differentiate him from any of the other Mariners who have played that position. Probably. Oh, yeah, it looks like he might have had. Maybe like the earliest possible version of transitions lenses. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. And which is too unfortunate because he's also blonde. So um, it's like really hard not to look like a like a little molested. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you want to feel better about your uh, about yourself, my own just, yeah. just put a put a copy of Young Girls in Flower in his hands and uh, yeah. see how. Yeah, no, actually, don't do that. Never do that. Hey, you know what's you know what's interesting about this is that uh, I'm guess, uh, um, I'm guessing uh, someone who is a who is a mutual friend um, uh, is Patrick Dubuque. Ah, yes. you, you, yeah, you like Patrick Dubuque. I like I like Patrick Dubuque. He's a, he actually wrote in 2011. He either he wrote or or maybe it was oh no yeah it was it was Patrick Dubuque wrote about Pete O'Brien. I'm not surprised. Yeah. Patrick is just a few a little bit older than I am. So whereas yeah. these are very sort of foggy impressions in my mind from like 88 to 90. And the really the one that stands out the most is Edgar Martinez, and I can't remember if that's because I really remember it or because I've spent so much time as an adult looking back over his career that I've you know almost like that thing where looking at pictures sometimes gives you false memories of the event. Yeah, but no, that's exactly yeah, that's exactly what happens. Yeah. Patrick actually yeah, remembers these people, so it's mm-hmm. always a thrill to me to read his writing and like just feel that fuzzy connection get a little bit sharper. So, so the so Pete O'Brien, and then 
and then what so how did how did it grow i assume that you were one of these uh um youths who was excited <laughs> I mean, you you got to see griffy you got to see the arrival of griffy rodriguez yep. you got to see uh that um that's was it a series against the Yankees that allowed them, or was it some sort of tie-breaking game? I apologize that I don't know. That's that's uh, poor form. No, no, I am pleased. This is the one thing in baseball that I probably know as well as the back of my hand. Um, I got to see the the kind of emergence of Griffey, which was incredibly exciting. I remember he was the first rookie I ever heard about people getting excited about. I didn't know people got excited about rookies because. The Mariners hadn't had any to get excited about. So, and they, you know, mishandled Edgar's rookie career really pretty poorly, kept him down in the minors a lot longer than he needed to be. So, I remember being in my kitchen and my dad excitedly explaining to me about Ken Griffey Jr. and why we should be so excited. And I was just thinking, well, he hasn't done anything yet. Why are people so excited about him? He's, because I, I just did not understand that you wouldn't come to the majors and have to work for a long time and then be good. I, I didn't understand that some people could just come and be good and be amazing immediately. So that was sort of the first... I do remember watching him in his first season and just that dawning on me that, oh, wow, this is this is what it... This is what real, natural, superhuman talent looks like in a person, and that's amazing. I wonder also, because... Uh, certainly, if you're if you're an older fan at the time, you would recognize that. M- maybe if you're an older older fan, you recognize that a young player is essentially um, like a symbol of hope, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe if you're a younger fan, that's lo- that's lost on you a little bit. First of all, they all seem old to you. <laughs> yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so maybe th- so that's part of it. But then maybe you don't understand because you, of course, would not have been quite as familiar with. Uh, the years of the club's futility, um, and so maybe the the idea of hope would not have been as essential to you. No, and I was so um, I was just conditioned to the idea that we weren't very good and that we would lose a lot. You know, when you just see losing after losing after losing, you it's your default, it's your normal, and you don't understand how it feels to win things. So you don't know. This is a little like what we were talking about earlier with moving around the country. And, you know, how do you know where you've been until you move away from it and can look back on it a little? And it's... So is, would you say that losing is your... That's your default state? <laughs> yes. Yeah, okay. An, an inspirational message for children. <laughs> well, I mean, I think everybody who... Oh, any Mariners fan who has grown up in the... Uh, I know, 2002, I guess, did we started pretty sucking pretty badly in 2002. 2002 to 2013, eh, kind of 2014, although they made that improbable push. And then 2015 was just a disaster. So look at look at that time frame. That's There are people who are, have never really seen competent Mariners baseball. Um, it's amazing we get as many readers as we do on the site. Well, let me ask you about the 2001 season because so that's actually that that's when I arrived was 2000. Uh, I might be I'm lying to you. I'm sure. No, 2000 Two. 2001. It doesn't matter. Uh, 2001. I know that I was there when they were in the playoffs. 2001. Um, oh yeah, that, no, that makes total sense. <clears throat> that was a great team. That was a fantastic team. Yeah. For 2001. That was a that was a great team that I got to enjoy for uh, May part of May. June, July, and August, and didn't get to see the rest of it because I was at college. Oh. And it was really? 2000, so there wasn't MLB TV, or there wasn't, like, really great internet, and there weren't smartphones, so it was, uh, yeah, I, I, I missed that. So, but here's the thing, like, that team was crazy good, and even, <laughs> if, even if you say, um, I mean, even by the... the the standards of like you know Pythagorean wins they were still amazing. Uh, I mean they a team with 116 wins yeah. clearly has overplayed <laughs> something, but they they were just they were fantastic. And then of course they lost um, in the championship series. Um, I wonder what that experience was like. Or it but it also sounds like maybe you sort of got it like 
like letters days later. Like, <laughs> yeah. like, I think I got yeah. it on a phone call uh, from my dad. So I think I think I tried to watch the game on ESPN in the dorms, and some girls were watching uh, Shakespeare in Love or something, and I could not. With a <laughs> watching a movie with a with a lesser fine. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's, that's a real bad. That's a bad mistake. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was, believe it or not, difficult to convince people in Roanoke, Virginia, to compare to care about the Seattle Mariners. Roanoke, Virginia, a group of all women. Yeah, I have zero. I have zero thoughts about Ro- Roanoke, Virginia. Do you, could you put one? Can you give me one thought about it? Um, it's a surprising gay hub. There's Ooh. yeah, for people who can't quite make it to Atlanta, but like maybe don't fit in their small towns in West Virginia and places like that they come to Roanoke so actually for a town in tiny southwest Virginia in the Blue Ridge Mountains it's beautiful and uh, kind of surprisingly liberal it's not a terrible place to be at all I I have very very fond feelings towards Roanoke Virginia not far from maybe not far from Blacksburg no no right up the right up the road from Blacksburg isn't there a big university in Blacksburg as well Virginia Tech you know that for not as good reasons yeah, yeah, but I think maybe I knew it before the less good reasons, just from knowing people who maybe went to Virginia Tech. They have a pretty good that. football team every year, the Hokies. Yeah, the and Hokies, they're an agricultural yeah. college, and I'm always like sort of fascinated by the breadth of things you can study at an agricultural college. My uh, my my entire worldview now. My when my wife and I we we bought a just a small house here. It's actually like a duplex essentially. Uh, we bought one half of it. Um, but we have a little yard, and um, since I've owned a home and also had a yard, my entire like value system has been entirely <laughs> inverted. Whereas, like you know, up to age thirty-four, five, whatever, the prospect of an agricultural college was so alien to me, uninterested me, and now I'm like, oh my god, you have like a skill. You have a skill. You understand things about the natural world and how to make things grow. Uh, yeah, so impressive. And the Saskatoon service berry. <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. I, someone's been doing some homework. <laughs> I really enjoyed that, and I can't wait to uh, become a roller derby star under the name Saskatoon service berry. You know, it's interesting. I actually don't know that the uh, that the Saskatoon or Western service berry would do well uh, in Seattle. It's a whole different uh, world in terms of in terms of biomes, isn't it? I believe so. Although we are, we we can grow an awful lot here um, because it's yeah, fairly yeah. temperate. But I, you were talking mm-hmm. about junipers, and I, my property is ringed with junipers, and they're horrible. I hate them. They're really mean. No, you don't like. No, them. they're so hard to cut, and they just scratch you up horribly. Oh, and yeah. even though I do collect the berries and try to use them for spices it's it's just not i would rather just go to the spice market and buy them and have no more junipers here because what about gin have you oh, making gin I out of them i would actually really enjoy that as gin is my favorite my favorite spirit um, yeah what's a if i'm drinking gin i don't uh, i enjoy i in fact i've been enjoying uh, some delicious um wine as we talk but uh if i were gonna go in for a gin uh what should be what should be my go my go it just depends on what you prefer if you like a more strongly Mm -hmm. like juniper berry um astringent you know the kind of more kick in the teeth gin which is what i like over Mm -hmm. the winter months but if i am drinking a gin martini which i think is the only way to drink a martini um, and it yeah. is spring or summer. I really enjoy this local gin called Dry Fly, which has notes Dry of fly. lavender and it's kind of more floral. Yeah, and that tends to be that's kind of a more northwest style of gin. So I'm a big fan. Yeah, I can I can accept that. I I do I like lavender quite a bit. Absolutely. I hope you're growing lavender because that's a. It's uh you can grow it here. Yeah, you can grow it here, but it, it does take you have to um. Fix a little bit of preparation because it, it appreciates sandier soils, and I live uh, like essentially right on the uh, right on the border of a wetland, so you got to do a little bit of work. But uh, my neighbor, 
up the up the way grows um, grows some lavender, and it is it's fantastic. It is, and it makes the bumblebees yeah. happy. We have I have a big thing of lavender and a big thing of rosemary, and the bees just big fat like cartoonish bumblebees just come, you know, and they do that like loop de loop kind of all drunk on their pollen. Oh, they're so cute. It's nice to hear you contributing to the body dysmorphia of bees <laughs> by referring to Did I just, did I just fat, fat shame a bumblebee? Oh, no. Yeah, you just fat shamed a bee. As if they didn't have they didn't enough have problems. Enough. They're going extinct and on their way out. He's going to fat shame them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no one wanted you anyway, around anyway. Also yellow and black. Who wears that? You're, you're terrible. Are you like, be like the Carl Lagerfeld of <laughs> bee shaming? Oh, I don't know that reference. Carl Lagerfeld is a Carl. fashion designer, and he is a famous fat shamer and very oh. cruel. Ugh. Yeah. Oh, he should be shamed for a number of things. He's he's a little bit horrendous. Uh, we're both German, yeah. I guess. Is yeah, that yeah. what you were thinking? Are you German shaming? Yeah, that's exactly. Me? That's that's where I was starting. That's where I was starting <laughs> in. I think actually it was Carl yes. Lagerfeld. Um, so wait, so let's talk about, um, well, no, so, you know, uh, f- frequently on this, uh, when, when, when we're meeting new people here on <laughs> audio, uh, audio presentation, we, uh, we'll say, w- w- um, at what point, you know, did you become acquainted with advanced metrics and what did that mean to you? But it, it, and this is totally fine as well. It sounds as though maybe that, that part of the, that part of the game is not as important to you. But that's it, or maybe it is, and I'm and I'm. <laughs> oh no, dummy. I am I am truly the uh, stats dummy because I, like I said, I didn't grow up with, we didn't have advanced stats, um, mm-hmm. when I was moving my stuffed animals around on their cardboard baseball diamond, I didn't play um, roto or anything like that. I didn't have friends who did it, so I just kind of missed that whole thing. And then when I lived back east, I. And the Mariners were terrible. I didn't keep up with the team, and I didn't keep up with baseball. And um, then I moved back. And then I realized that there's a – while I was absent from the baseball world, a lot of things went on. And there's this guy, Mike Trout, and he's pretty good. Imagine imagine mm-hmm. getting to discover Mike Trout for the first time. That was fun. That's interesting. Yeah. You know, the author – you're probably familiar – Douglas Coupland? Ah, Douglas yes. Douglas Coupland? Yeah. Uh, Gen, Gen um, X. Generation yeah. X. And yeah. But at one point he wrote that he said, I think he said when he was young, he wished he could essentially fall asleep for a year and wake up and read all the newspapers from the last year and have that experience of encountering all of the news in, you know, like in one day, essentially, to kind of gorge, him, gorge himself on it. Um, and he said, but. Uh, he said now uh, he doesn't have to wish for that because you can wake up any any given day and there's all and there's more news um there's more news than than you can handle i would say i go the yeah. opposite way on that right now where when i fire up twitter or what i call the box of constant sorrows i look mm-hmm. at what's oh, happening yeah. and um you know it's, it seems like good news is kind of thin on the ground a little bit lately so i i don't think i can handle oh, no, no, i'm not saying good news <laughs> i'm not saying oh so that's yeah. what you don't know no, right no i understand i think it, he wasn't necessarily making comments about whether the news was good or not just the experience of living of living through it but you know but there is a lot of news in general there is and maybe uh, to which we have access i i feel like it might be crippling though to try to catch up on i feel like sometimes it's crippling to even be gone from your phone or away from social media or away from the internet for a while and then you come back and you see what you've missed and um as nice as it was sometimes to be away it can feel just super overwhelming when you come back but but that's how it is for you though with baseball though is that you've you've come back and you say oh look it there's a lot for me to learn which is fun because it's nice and it's nice not to have the baggage of having watched the Mariners be bad for so long. Um, and I think it kind of positions me uniquely to write about the team because I don't carry the baggage of the 2010 season. I wasn't here. I didn't have to watch it. Um, and so I think, you know, it kind of helps me be more fair 
in evaluating what Jerry Depoto is doing, um, all of which I'm tremendously excited about. And I think it's a really... He's he doing he a lot. He sure is. He, he's a busy yeah. bee. Speaking of bees. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's, he's a busy Although he bee. is a fit and Isn't handsome he? bee. <laughs> yeah. Now, what do you think about Guillermo Heredia? <gasps> what don't I think about Guillermo Heredia? You oh big Guillermo gosh. guy? Um, I yeah. love Guillermo. We are all at the site very, very, um, we've just cast off any illu- illusions of objectivity towards Guillermo because we all love him so much. Um, I think part of it is his personality. He is just infectious. Um, he will talk to anyone. He doesn't let his, the fact that English is his second language hold him back. On his birthday, he did one of those Instagram lives and he chatted with everyone and he answered everyone's questions and he did it kind of part in English and part in Spanish and part in Spanglish and he was drinking a beer and eating some tacos and he kept showing us all the tacos he was eating. Oh, he's just, he's like such a joie de vivre. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Vivre. Yeah. Vivre. Vivre. Uh, yeah. yeah. He's, he's got yeah. that. Uh, yeah. Well, and I, um, his, I will say that uh, I became acquainted with him mostly through his statistical <laughs> line, which was uh, very, very promising uh, in the in the minor leagues. And uh, he seems like he could be, and and it's a, it's so amazing because, uh, for better or worse, right? A, a number of the contracts that have recently been given to uh, to Cuban players, like Rusny Castillo, mm-hmm. is probably the biggest example. But um, that's not. Yeah, I was just well watching him play, and it wasn't going great. Yeah, you know, and, and, and the Red Sox gave him $70 million, which <laughs> on the one hand, that's great. That part is great for <laughs> Rosny Castillo. Um, although you have to imagine that, that he would, just like Hector Oliveira would, if, of course, he's got other extenuating circumstances. Um, he would, they would like to be good at the sport <laughs> on the highest level. How long was, uh, how um, long was Castillo here before he started playing or, before did he have to sit out for a while as a defector? Was he kind of shepherded in under that I don't actually new policy? Don't, I don't think he was. You're you're, you're asking the wrong. <laughs> I'm asking. I'm not. Sistuli. I need yeah, uh, uh, Cameron Sistuli, the, uh, the the yeah yeah Dave Dave <laughs> the, Cameron would be able to answer it or something. Uh, <clears throat> there was quite a bit of promise, and uh, he's unlikely to to reach. Well, that. so the reason I ask about that is. Um, Guillermo came out of Cuba. He had to sit out for all of 2015. He came to camp in 2016 um, just trying, you know, just kind of trying to see if he would stick. And it looked for a while like uh, it wasn't great. He didn't have any power. Uh, They called him up towards the end of the season, and he showed great plate discipline. But, again, his swing was kind of wonky. And, again, the power but it turned out, and we are hearing about this in spring training this year, was he spent all of 2016 not sure what he could eat in America because he was worried about what American food would do to his body or if he'd be able to process it properly. So it was a long period of him kind of figuring out what what foods in this strange new country were delicious to him and what was good for him. Um, and, you know, he's playing in, like, double A. He's playing in triple A's, playing in these tiny towns. Um, he's playing in Jackson, Mississippi. It's not exactly a hotbed of Cuban food. So he discovered Olive Garden and he loves Olive Garden. Yeah. And he knew that he could always get a good meal that would be good for his body at Olive Garden. And he, uh, he attributes a lot of his success to that. Well, yeah, <laughs> I mean, who, who, who among us doesn't? Is the question you have to ask yourself after that? I did not know that about Guillermo already. It's um, really casting a different light. I don't know if it's a better well, light. Well, I think it's a it's a yeah. healthy. I, I, you can argue about the the health benefits of eating at a lot of your meals at Olive Garden, but I think what it really says it's a comfort thing, right? I mean, it's not a strange and terrifying place that you're in, just struggling and trying to make it. It's a place where you have some comfort and you have some friends. And um, I just think that that can, that better mental state and that better physical state can help. If you already have the tools can help inform your, what you're able to do at the plate and defensively. And he, I think he's going to play his way onto the 25 man. If he keeps this up. 
Yeah, it, the the sort of version I've seen thought, uh, seems like he might be sort of the the weak side of a of mm-hmm. a corner outfield yep. platoon. Yep, yep. Does that sound right? He's competing with Ben Gamble, who uh, Jerry traded for at the end of last year. We've just all been hearing about how great Ben Gamble is. Ben Gamble this, Ben Gamble that, and uh, Heredia was kind of lost in the mix, and I was really worried about him coming into this season. And maybe he was worried about him, too, because he has just come out playing with his hair on fire. Yeah. Which must be uncomfortable. <laughs> but uh, if it helps hey, him. Uh, the Mariner's slogan this year is whatever it takes. Okay. So uh, if if it's yeah. self-immolation, whatever it takes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's uh, I remember discovering – well um, – I, I'll, I'll let you go here. You've, uh, you've already, I've already occupied you for an hour. But um, self-immolation. <laughs> I remember when that was uh, that concept was introduced to me, and I don't mean to uh, draw unnecessary attention to a, a dark subject, but I, it was brought to my attention by Rage Against <laughs> the Machine. So I'm sorry. Is the dark <laughs> subject um, self-immolation, or the fact that you've listened to Rage Against the Machine? <laughs> well, you know. <laughs> A little bit of this, a little bit of that. It's God using both of his hands. Is what I is how I like to. <laughs> is what it is. Hey, listen, Kate Very Booser. Good. What a pleasant conversation. Did we talk about baseball? I what feel like we didn't really talk about enough baseball. <laughs> well, a, a we did, but b, um, and, uh, you know, I mean properly. And I uh, perhaps I've said this in the introduction already. Let's hope that I have. Um, you, you're going to be writing for us. Uh, I think you probably have, what, three yes, or four more posts yes, yes. along those lines? Yeah. And, and, um, we will, and I, and I'm among the, among this audience, we'll get to understand more about your interests sp- specifically as a, as a baseball writer. Um, but I think that a conversation like this helps, I know it helps me, helps to understand you in a, um, you know, uh, the, the context from which you're working, who you are as a person. And, and, I, and perhaps most importantly, just hearing your voice uh, would be something that I can uh, hear as, uh, you know, as I'm reading your posts and as our readers are, are doing I should point out this isn't exactly always how I sound. I'm still working back from some hoarseness, still have a little bit of that mid-century butcher. You want the pastrami. Yeah, but there's kind of like a there's kind of like a sweet spot in there, though, right? I know that it happens to me. Where I get like a certain kind of raspiness that sounds, I don't know, it, it might work differently for the, for the male and female voices, but I know. But no, but if, I think a lady's voice, like a raspy, like like Scar, like peak Scar, Scarlett Johansson, she can get raspy sometimes, and that voice has served her well. I think it's gotten her work. Um, but also, like a for me, like it sometimes if it's a little raspier and maybe a little deeper because of it, it could sound like. Um, you know, Sam Elliott. I'm like, a, I'm, like a, I'm like a like a doppelganger, a vocal doppelganger for Sam Elliott. Like, I'm trying to As you can like tell, if Sam Elliott listened to a bunch of now. This American Lives and then uh, <laughs> yeah, to... yeah, that's right. A Sam Elliott I... narrated edition of This American Life. Would you listen once? Would you? Um... Does he do all the pe- does he do all of the pieces or is he just like the bumper? Well, he would just play the yeah he would just play the um, the the Ira Glass. Okay, I, I would listen to that. I would listen to that if only to hear today. We hear three of these stories. <laughs> <laughs> you know who sounds like Sam Elliott is Bruce Bochy. Does he? Uh, could, Coach for the San Francisco Giants, yeah. In fact, when we were done with this conversation, I will send you a post that I wrote, which I challenge people to tell the difference. Like, <laughs> it was like five sound clips. Can you tell the difference between Bruce Bochy and Sam Elliott? Yeah. Yeah. My guess is you can, but I, it illustrates my point, which is uh, Is there like a Fangraphs trivia game, like tr- Fangraphs bar trivia that I don't know about? Because I feel like this would be a really nice revenue stream for you guys. Well, there was we did have a part of the site, and perhaps this is before you rejoined uh, the baseball community uh, called ah, yes, Nutgrass, yes, yes. and actually that's how, that's how I knew Patrick Dubuque, and uh, we had some things like that. Um, but and I think Patrick Dubuque has started not to say that it's derivative at all, but a similar uh, maybe a similar 
um, set of or a sense of <laughs> insouciance and pleasure uh, with uh, yeah he has relief. sort of a little uh, little boutique over there at BP but. yeah and I'm sure it's driving tons of traffic because I know that's what we did over in Knockrafts. it was a it was an SEO colossus <laughs> yeah yeah. <laughs> that's not my term. That's Dane Perry's, but it's it, it's it's okay it, for oh. everybody. Hey, well, listen, Kate, stick around for a moment uh, for the, uh, but for the purposes of the program, allow me to of say course. thank you. Of course, I was delighted to be yeah. here. Yeah, that that is Kate uh, Prusser, who is. Uh, are you an editor at? at I Atlanta? run that show. <laughs> oh, whoa! <laughs> Kate Prusser is the boss. I of am Lookout the boss Landing. of the applesauce. Oh wow! Uh, and uh, a also a contributor to the um, icosahedron. Yes. Yep, icosahedron. Podcast. Icosahedron pod, where you allow what tw- twenty twenty sided die to dictate we the do. course of the conversation. We do. We do do that. Yeah, yeah. The among the nerdiest <laughs> things that has ever existed. Uh, you need there. to come back to and Seattle, Carson, because you you haven't seen nerdy. If that's what you think, for yeah, a visit, for a visit, for, for, a, for visit. a visit, maybe. But and and then uh, and I will say most, if not most important, at least most relevant to this conversation, you are uh, the Fangraphs resident writer and resident. Oh, I like that. I like I don't that. Know how we're saying I would. I will put that yeah. on my Fangraphs CV. Ra- <laughs> you should put it right on your CV. Um, uh, Fangraphs writer resident for the for the the. Well, you're the inaugural writer. So it's a heavy burden. It, heavy is the crown, but yeah, heavy. Yeah, luckily, the crown. I. That's weird that you. That's weird that you got that you had a crown made for the occasion because we didn't send you one. You just went out and you got a Look, crown. Look, all right, like you have to celebrate your own victories first and foremost. You can't depend on other people to do it for true. you. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, but uh, it's 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 been a pleasure to talk with you. It's, it has been a pleasure already to read your work, um, and I look forward to more of it. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Okay, all right. As I say, that has been Kate Brewster. I'm Carson Sestouli. And this has been Fan Audio.